Hi there. I'm Jen Hale Christie, and you're listening to Preach Her. This podcast is designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church or never even went, this podcast is for you. Welcome. Have you heard about our Patreon community? It is an awesome way to join me and others in this good work, whether you want to support women preachers and make sure that this work continues, or if you want to actually partner with me and have direct input, like you want to have a 30 minute phone call with me every month, or you want to join the sermon prep team, or you want to come and visit my family um, in Portland and help produce an episode. There are opportunities for you to engage at whatever level feels good for you. And everyone who's in the community gets access to our monthly letter um, delivered to your inbox at the end of every month. So click the link in the show notes and let me know what you think. We are in season three, which means we are making our way through the book of Acts, witnessing God's spirit moving powerfully throughout the ancient Mediterranean, the same spirit that is alive and very active in our world today, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Today, we have a phenomenal sermon from my friend Amy McLaughlin-Shesby, Um, As you are listening and wanting to know more about her and about how the sermon is working on her, let me tell you, you definitely want to stick around for the interview afterwards. Amy is a prophet and a preacher, a teacher and a friend, and I am blessed to know her and share her with you today. Here we go. Our text for today comes from Acts chapter 6, verse 8 through chapter 7, verse 53. It's here in this text that we are introduced to Stephen, a man who is described as being full of wisdom and the Spirit. Starting in verse 8, we read, Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. So then the text tells us that the synagogue leaders secretly instigated some men to accuse Stephen of blasphemy. The text says that they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and that they set up false witnesses to testify against Stephen in trial before the council. Listen to those verbs again. These men, who could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in Stephen, instigated, stirred, and set him up. They bring Stephen to a rigged trial to testify before the council, and though they ask Stephen some pointed questions about the things he has said and done, he seems to ignore their questions, opting to dive right into his testimony. As he begins to testify, he starts to tell the story of Israel, focusing on some of Israel's leaders, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, the prophets, with some 30 citations from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And as he interprets this history for the council, he reminds them that each of these men experienced rejection. As God raised up Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and the prophets as leaders, the Israelites repeatedly rejected them and challenged them and on some occasions killed them. 
Stephen rides the current of this history right up to his present moment when he directs his testimony right at the religious leaders and says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. Now, in some church settings, we end a reading of scripture saying, the word of the Lord, to which the people respond, thanks be to God. But maybe the end of this passage elicits less gratitude and a little more discomfort. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I have made it a practice of mine to always ask where I am in the text. I read a story in scripture and I start to ask, am I Stephen? Am I a synagogue leader? Oh, what if I am a false witness? Or maybe I'm just a bystander who has been stirred up into the controversy. No matter my preference, I cannot escape this text without feeling the sting of Stephen's testimony. A stiff-necked people, indeed. I turned 30 years old back in December. And the older I get, the better I get to know myself. And here is something that I have found to be absolutely, unavoidably true. And that is, I am a stubborn, stubborn woman. I get it in part from my grandmother. She's a cattle rancher in Colorado, and I've watched her stare down a charging steer without batting an eye. I've seen her put the fear of God in wild animals who threatened her farm. And honestly, I beam with a little bit of pride knowing that I have that kind of blood in my veins. At times, it has been a great gift. It has helped me to grow into a woman of conviction. It has helped me overcome my fears when I needed to take a bold step. But like any strength, my stubbornness also has a shadow side. Sometimes my stubbornness has been my downfall. I have been stiff-necked, to put it biblically, and it has often gotten me into trouble. And it is because I know this about myself that this story about Stephen does a real number on me. You might recall that Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr following this trial. The word martyr comes from the Greek noun martus, which means witness. Stephen bears witness while being challenged by false witnesses. And his very death becomes a witness. His martyrdom bears witness. Tertullian, the early Christian writer, famously said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so we remember martyrs for the legacy of their deaths. We remember the good that grows out of their sacrifice. And this is certainly how I remember Stephen. He's a hero. And yet, I wonder if on this side of his martyrdom, we forget to ask good questions. Questions that really matter. Questions that pry open the truth about his death and every martyr's death. Questions like, what was it about what he said that made people so angry? And why do our best prophets keep turning up dead? 
Isn't this the question Stephen hoped we would ask? Stephen's testimony is not a simple telling of history. It is a sifting of history. He is seeking to expose the answer to this very question, why our best prophets, why our God-sent leaders keep turning up rejected and dead. And the answer has to do with a pattern, a cycle. Stephen and those who put him on trial are the latest iteration of a tale that has played out again and again through Israel's history. Somebody emerges to speak the truth that the systems they keep in place and the behaviors they reward and the leaders they elect are actually destroying the soul of the people. Someone steps forward to challenge traditional concepts of religion, to loosen the people's legalistic grip, but the people don't want to hear it. Two verses in our text today help us to interrogate this history. Two verses that bookend our text and together warn us about the relationship between wisdom and pride. Chapter 6, verse 10, tells us that the people could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit in Stephen. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. This is what predicates all of the rising action leading up to Stephen's death. The religious leaders could not tolerate or endure wisdom. And why could they not endure wisdom? Chapter 7, verse 51, the people are stiff-necked. They are prideful. They are stubborn. Stephen has just shown them the cycle that they are trapped in, doomed to repeat. And he knows that the reason the prophets and leaders are persecuted and killed is because the people are too prideful to receive their wisdom. My favorite books of the Bible are the books categorized as wisdom literature. Anybody who knows me knows this is true. I love Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and especially Job. In Jewish wisdom literature, wisdom is described as beginning in the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the more that I read wisdom literature, the more I understand that fear of the Lord is not about a response to the Lord, but rather about a posture. Fear of the Lord is a disposition which acknowledges that God is the creator and sustainer of the cosmos and I am me. I am finite. My knowledge is limited. My power is not exhaustive. My life is but a vapor in the grand scheme of time. Fear of the Lord looks like knees bent and palms open. Fear of the Lord is to disarm oneself in expectation. Fear of the Lord is to wait and anticipate. Fear of the Lord is to invite God, surprise me, teach me, show me the truth about who you are and who I am and what we ought to do about it. In fear of the Lord, we prepare our minds to receive wisdom. To recognize one's own place in the cosmos is to bring down barricades of pride. So let's return to one of our questions about Stephen, a man full of wisdom and the spirit. What was it about what he said that made people so angry? He preached the good news of Jesus, which affirms that God cannot be bound by our temples, 
that God cannot be summed up in the laws, that God cannot be manipulated by our rituals. He preached the good news of Jesus, which demands that we anticipate God doing a new thing in our midst, a, a bigger thing than we could have ever imagined. The people are angered because Stephen is speaking with wisdom. Stephen is inviting the people to humble themselves in order to receive something new. You see, it's not just that pride is incompatible with wisdom. It's that wisdom is offensive to the proud. The proud cannot withstand it. The people are caught up in a cycle of rejecting the prophets of the Lord, and they are doomed to repeat it if they cannot put aside their pride. Stephen is pleading with the people to break the cycle, and of course, as we know, they will not. When I was working on this sermon, this made me think about what it means to break cycles of behavior, both personal and intergenerational cycles, habitual cycles, ideological cycles. I thought about churches who open their pulpits to women for the first time only to joyfully discover that the wisdom and spirit of God abides strongly in people who have long been silenced. I thought about mothers learning to speak life and affirmation to their daughters, even when their own mothers failed to do so for them. I thought about my first-generation college students who come to my classroom with no family precedent. I think about anti-racism activists who face the greatest resistance in their own families. But my scope of cycles and patterns is fairly limited, so I called my brother and I asked him what came to his mind when we talk about breaking cycles. And he reminded me of the story of the tobacco industry in the United States. Once believed to be perfectly safe and possibly even healthy, the habitual smoking of cigarettes became commonplace in American homes. Basically, an entire generation became hooked on cigarettes, completely ignorant of the dangers of smoking. But when scientists and medical experts began to sound alarms about the dangers of smoking, many Americans responded the way that I do to sensational headlines, with an eye roll and skepticism. Consumers, passive and sometimes ignorant, mostly ignored the first warning signs of danger. But tobacco companies were not ignorant or passive. No, they saw the research and panicked. They had too much to lose. And so began a battle between the tobacco companies and medical researchers. Ad campaigns sought to discredit the new research while also highlighting new incentives for consumers. Meanwhile, consumers had grown dependent upon cigarettes. Even if the medical research was correct, could they stop smoking? It wasn't until the medical research gained critical mass that consumers began to accept the truth about cigarettes. They are unequivocally dangerous and deadly. This led to an escalated fight to combat tobacco companies, a number of lawsuits throughout the 1990s, and ultimately, new regulations on the tobacco industry for the health of the American people. My own grandfather, after 42 years of smoking, finally gave it up in 1987. The truth won him over, and a cycle was broken. I think that maybe pride is the greatest barrier to breaking a cycle, 
But if people will open themselves to the truth tellers, the prophets, the voices who expose our toxic patterns for what they are, we could be saved. And maybe our prophets would go on living too. I mentioned earlier that I usually try to find myself in the texts that I preach. I would love to think of myself as a Stephen, a wise truth teller who will not be deterred from my mission. I don't really want to think of myself as an ignorant bystander who gets stirred up into the mob by the fanatical religious leaders. And I would flat out hate to imagine that I am one of the religious leaders desperate to reinforce toxic patterns that deal death and destruction. But maybe for today, I should just be honest about exactly who I am in relation to this text. I am a person squarely positioned in the year 2020, hoping that this text, this word, will speak to me. And if I listen closely, I can still hear him. Our witness, our truth teller, I hear Stephen calling out across millennia, haunting my life, haunting the sermon, wondering when we will break the cycle when we will stop killing off our prophets, when we will stop cringing at the sound of wisdom. Because when we resist wisdom, we become complicit in the lynching of prophets. This text disturbs me because today I see us spinning out the cycle once again, rejecting wisdom to our own detriment. False witnesses have been given the biggest platforms while true witnesses are silenced, slandered, smothered, and sometimes killed. False witnesses throw their weight, manipulate our institutions, and seek to eradicate and silence our faithful witnesses. Why? Because they cannot withstand wisdom. I know it feels like defeat. Every time a witness is silenced, every time a witness becomes a martyr, it starts to feel like all is lost. But then I remember that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, that the ground which seemed fallow is actually more fertile than we could have ever dreamed. I remember that God continues to raise up prophets who speak wisdom and that eventually with enough critical mass, truth prevails. They might kill Stephen and the other apostles. They might kill Perpetua and Felicitas and Polycarp. They might silence and kill the reformers. They might burn women at the stake for daring to speak. They might kill Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., and Oscar Romero. But they cannot kill the Spirit of God, whose wisdom makes fools of the powerful and sages of the lowly. They can instigate and stir and set up, but the wisdom of God will prevail. Let us receive Stephen's petition today. Let us not reject wisdom as our ancestors have done. Let us be open to correction and change. Let us humble ourselves to receive something new. Let us remember who we are in relation to God. Let us bend our knees and break the cycles. Hello, Amy McLaughlin-Shesby, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, absolutely. It's, I'm so glad to see you, my friend. <laughs> it's so good to see you. <laughs> um, I had to listen to your sermon three times, I will admit. I loved it. Um, oh my gosh. I... I just love what you do with a text um, and how you really bring us in. You are a gifted storyteller and um, it's evident that you really spend time like dwelling in the text um, because the insights that emerge are not, they're not coming from a commentary. I mean, they are coming from God's spirit alive in you and, yeah. and delivered through your sermon. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a, a gift um, and a blessing to, to witness that and to hear it. So thank you. No, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell us um, for uh, everybody else. I know, I know you, I know where you live and what you do, <laughs> but um, tell, tell our hearers a little bit about yourself and what you're up to right now. Yeah. So I currently live in Boston and I am working on my PhD in practical theology at Boston University with a concentration in homiletics. Um, so I think about preaching, preaching. all the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm always hesitant to tell people that that's my concentration, just in case they judge my sermons like a little more critically. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I love I love to think about preaching as um, a way of doing theology in community with others, and um, I think every sermon is an opportunity to create something new with your hearers. Um, and so I just I. I get excited thinking about that, and so that's why I'm studying it. Um, but I also do a lot of teaching. I teach for Abilene Christian University in their Department of Bible Missions and Ministry, and I also teach a little adjunct for Rochester University in Michigan. Um, and so, yeah, that's my heart and soul is teaching, and then I preach whenever I get a chance. Um, nice. So yeah, that's what I'm up to. Well, great. Well, we, I, I trust that um, all the hearers have been blessed by your words. So thank you. Um, so many um, notes I wanted to make as I was um, listening. I only jotted down a few things because I just get so wrapped up in it. Um, okay. So I wondered, um, you said early on that you like to always try to locate yourself in the text. And yeah. Uh, reading between the lines, I mean, you talked about the stiff-necked people and the pride and your your grandmother. And I mean, is that where you found yourself, like as one of the scribes? Yeah, you know, I I wrestled with it because, of course, I wanted to be Stephen. I want to think of myself as, you know, a prophetic voice, um, somebody who's putting myself out there, a, a person of conviction, and and yet. I know that oftentimes I am the, the stubborn, stiff-necked person who um, has an opportunity to break cycles but refuses to, mm. you know. And so, you know, I, I tell my preaching students um, that they should never preach a text if they haven't let it do its work on them first. Yes. Um, I, I always want, if, if the text is going to cut, cut people up, like if it's a tough text, um, I, I need to let that happen to me first. Mm. And what Stephen has to say to people about breaking cycles, it's a tough word. Yes. And um, I thought it would be kind of a cop out for me to assume that I'm always Stephen when I know full well, <laughs> oftentimes I need to be on the receiving end of that message. Mm. And so I'm going to let it do its work on me first and then go from there. Mm. So 
Thank you. So it's been a couple of weeks since you've recorded. I know mm -hmm. that this text was working on you leading up to that, and I assume has continued to work on you. Do you have any um, further insights or like, you know, have other things happened? Has God continued to kind of show up in this way? Sure. You know, honestly, every time I turn on the news, anytime that I pay attention to the happenings around our country, um, I'm reminded of the way that this text spoke to me two weeks ago. And mm. um, I keep hearing stories about um, <laughs> people who are being let go from their jobs or deposed or removed from offices after they speak out against toxic patterns. Mm. Um, so if somebody comes into an institution and, and challenges a racist structure within the institution, um, sometimes those people lose their jobs. Sometimes, you know, you're a minister in a church and you recognize some toxic patterns and uh, you want to be able to address them, but you also know that if you start to name those toxic patterns or cycles, uh, you might lose your job. You might face rejection from your elders or from your co-ministers or whoever. Mm -hmm. um, it's tough to not only name what needs to be changed, but also start to enact that change. Yes. Um, and so I think that part of the way this text keeps speaking to me is I just keep seeing it show up in very tangible ways in our communities. I keep hearing stories about people who are being kicked out or rejected um, or slandered because they've got a tough word that they need to say. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that all of us, you know, value a, a timely and eloquent and tempered word. <laughs> but when a message is tough, there's not I, I, all the sugar in the world can't take the, the bite out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is, there are some messages that need to be spoken with a level of boldness um, and honesty that is scary. And uh, so I just keep seeing that in intangible ways. And in that way, this sermon kind of feels like its own cycle that's working out in my life. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Agreed. I see it. I know there's been a lot of buzz about um, a situation that you and I are familiar with, with a woman getting removed from a position at a university that yeah. is close to my heart. Um, yes. Yeah. So what do we do? I mean, I, I loved um, the quote about the, um, the martyrs becoming the seeds of yeah. the church, right? Yeah. Um, is there is there another way? Is there any other hope besides, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I And I think ideally, you know, the hope is repentance, right? The hope, this is what Stephen wants. And it's, I think, I, I mentioned in my sermon that Stephen is starting to haunt my life and it's haunting uh, me to wake up and, and recognize where, uh, I need to be paying better attention and need to be showing up. In the illustration about uh, the tobacco industry, I mentioned that, you know, when there's critical mass, yes, the tide turns. And I think that that's really crucial that if we can gain critical mass in addressing our toxic patterns as a people, and um, whether in our churches or in our society or wherever be it, um, when when the tide starts to turn, <laughs> the, the lives of our prophets are in less danger, right? <laughs> um, 
I mentioned at one point that if we would just repent, I think we could save ourselves and, and maybe our prophets would go on living too. Mm. Right. And of course, living becomes kind of a metaphor. I'm not suggesting that we kill all of our prophets, Um, but we silence them. We marginalize them. We discredit them. um, We ignore them. But what if we didn't? What if instead we heeded the warning and decided to be the ones to break the cycle? You know, I think that's how, you know, of course, I'm grateful that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, but ideally there would be no more blood. Right. Um, Ideally, the church becomes fully realized, um, you know, into a full mature manifestation of the love and glory and justice and peace of God. Um, And we don't need martyrs anymore. That's a little bit eschatological, right? I mean, as long as we're here, of course, we're going to have toxic patterns that we need to address and break. And we will always have prophets who, who have to throw themselves on the line to guide us into a better place. Um, But of course, the hope is that someday we will be made whole. Mm. And what we see dimly right now will become clear. And our vision will be corrected. We won't need those prophets. Mm. And, And in turn, of course, we won't reject them either. Yes. Again, I want to thank you for your words. And thank you for the ways in which you have been a prophet and are continuing to be a prophet and throw yourself out there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's not easy um, being a lightning rod for controversy as (laughs) as a a woman in, you know, in church ministry, like you're a bit of a lightning rod. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for Mm -hmm. um, speaking up and standing up. You know, um, my parents taught me when I was a little girl, to not pursue the job that would bring me the most money and to not chase after what other people felt like I needed to be chasing after, but to listen as carefully and closely as I could for what God was calling me to do with my life. And they promised me with full faith that if I went and did what God called me to do, then I would have a fulfilled life. Hmm. And have there been challenges? Of course. Um, Ministry in general can be very lonely. Yes. Um, it can be, you know, you just feel vulnerable no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, ministry as a woman in churches of Christ. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, but my parents were right that there has never been a day in this calling where I felt like I had somehow wandered beyond the palm of God mm. or um, wondered whether or not God had prepared the space for me in advance. I've, I've known and felt um, peace through the process. And it has been a fulfilling and exciting calling. I mean, I feel, I just feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate um, to get to do this work. So yeah, Mm, that's beautiful. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I, I know you're a busy woman, but (laughs) I hope we can um, convince you to be back on the podcast in the future. I would love it. I would love it. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. If today you find yourself on the outside without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes 
to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at jenhalechristie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.